Welcome, Pathway family, Westland, Goddard Valley. Those of you watching online, as we kick off our Christmas series, Christmas Playlist, we'll be traveling through the Christmas story and looking through the lens of a kind of modern and musical tones. And the first week, actually every week, we'll be looking at a song and putting a little bit of Jesus into it. Now, I actually told them that I could sing that song. Like, Let me come up and I'll sing Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. But I learned an important thing is we need people around us to give us grace and truth. Man, I had a lot of people give me truth. Like, that's a bad idea. I've heard you sing. Don't do it. You know, my wife, um, I don't know if you know her and make sure she's not around to hear this, but she's a little bit Christmas crazy. That's right. I said it. She's a little Christmas crazy, and I see a few of you judging me. Like, did you just call your wife that? Here's the thing, church. In our house, I was counting the other day, we've got 15 Christmas trees in our house, right? Now do you understand? Like, get a little bit of grace? That's good. They asked her if they could shoot this video at our house. So that was at our house, and she was like, yes, this is Christmas comes early. Of course you can have it at our house. You know, it, it was great getting a chance to shoot that. But I, I've got a question for you. No matter where you're watching from, a Valley Goddard or here online, raise your hand if you put up your Christmas tree before Thanksgiving. Okay? Be, be loud and proud. Like, yeah, I'm one of the Christmas crazy. I do this too. Oh, I see someone saying, hey, you got to raise your hand. We do that. All right. For this video, we put up our Christmas trees before Halloween. <laughs> right? That's what I'm talking about. If you can beat that, let me know, and I'll pray for you because you need it, all right? You know, I've been thinking a lot about what I want for Christmas and what I've wanted for Christmas in years past, and, and really, it's not a singular thing. There's, I want a lot for Christmas, and I've wanted that in years past. I, I remember 2007, December 2nd, I met my wife for the first time. We went out on a date, and I fell head over heels in love with her super quick. And then a couple weeks later, I went down to Wichita Falls, Texas for work, and so it was around Christmas time, and that Christmas, all I wanted was her, was to spend time with her. I remember 2003, I was graduating from Oswego, Kansas, and, and that year we were going to Breckenridge, Colorado around Christmas time for a ski trip. And I don't know if you've ever been skiing, but it is the next best thing to having wings. And I've never had wings, but it's amazing. You're up there on the mountains in the mountain air, and you're going down double blacks. You're negotiating the mogul 65 miles per hour down the slopes. It's It's amazing. That year for Christmas, all I wanted was that trip. You know, growing up, I, I'm the youngest of four boys. I've got three older brothers, and, and growing up, it was about the presents. It was about the presents wrapped underneath the Christmas tree, just like the song. That's what I wanted for Christmas, whether it was a, a new gaming system, a new PlayStation game, it was new hockey sticks or rollerblades or these survivor shots that were amazing. It was about the presents. As I get a little bit older, God has blessed my wife and I with two girls. We have our oldest, Emerson Rose, is seven, and our youngest, she is full of sugar and spice. She's really spicy in those terrible twos. Her name is Hayden Grace, and we love them so much that Christmas now is about having them experience the wonder of Christmas. Like, we want all of the things. It's Candy Cane Lane like 10 to 15 times this year. It's Reindeer Road. It's Illuminations. It's the treats and the musics and the being generous and everything that we want for them is just for them to experience the wonder of Christmas. 
What about you? Have you started to think of your Christmas list? Like it's coming up, you need to start thinking about it. Maybe it is that person. You want to spend time with that grandma or that grandpa and just have good quality time this Christmas. You don't know how many more you're going to have with them. Or maybe, maybe you've been dropping hint after hint after hint to that lucky someone and you're like, is this going to be the year that they're going to pop the question and engagement's coming? It's that relationship. Maybe your kids are off in college and they're coming back and you just want to spend time with them. Or or it could be a trip, right? Maybe you're going to a cruise, you're going to the beach somewhere, or it could be a ski trip, but all you want for Christmas is that trip. Maybe it's presents for you. It could be a, a new gun, it could be some decoys, it could be jewelry, clothing, all kinds of different things, but what you want are those presents underneath the Christmas tree. Or maybe it's time with your kids as well. Hey, have we covered it all? Have we got all the main buckets? And Yes, I, I think we got that. That's my list. Thank you. I wrote that down. Now I'm ready to go. You know, let's pause a second. I think sometimes we forget the true meaning of Christmas time. We go through this list and the busyness of Christmas. We think if we get all of this, we'll be full of joy and peace and happiness. But the true meaning of Christmas is God's goodness, right? And that God gave us Jesus and we celebrate his birth. But Christmas is so much more than just remembering an event that happened. It's so much more than just remembering a birth that happened. It's so much more than just coming to Christmas service the one time of the year and saying, okay, I did it, I I celebrated Christmas. Christmas is about experiencing the joy, the peace, and the love that comes through a relationship with Jesus. You know, us Christians, we, we get this wrong so often. We say these words of remember the reason for the season, right? The reason for the season is Jesus. And we've got the bracelets, we've got the t-shirts. This is like up on our wall. It's our bumper stickers. Stickers. We tell everyone about it. But if we really evaluated the time that we spend with God during the Christmas season, maybe we fall short. If we evaluated the time we're in God's word or we're praying, if we evaluated our words, our actions, our heart posture, Maybe we're not really remembering the reason for this season. Or maybe we do remember it, a birth that happened, but we don't experience the joy and the peace that comes through that relationship with Jesus. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to remember the reason of the season together and see what we truly do want for Christmas this year. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah. You can follow along on the screen or open up your Bibles or go to the Pathway Church app. Now, Isaiah was written around 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And in the book of Isaiah, there are many, many, many different prophecies. We're just going to look at one. We're going to start here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. There you have it. Did you catch it? That was a birth announcement, right? As we look at the Christmas story, that's the birth announcement, but not a regular birth announcement. It was 700 years before he was born, saying that Jesus will be born. Did you see that he'd be given to us? We can't earn the gift of Jesus, but he's freely given to us, and that the government will rest on his shoulders. What that means, he'll have influence over people. And what amazing influence has he had? No one's going to remember Jared Piney in 2,000 years. 
No one's going to remember any of you in 2,000 years. But 2,000 years after the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, there's churches, there's schools, there's nonprofits helping out at-risk youth and, and homeless individuals and, and all kinds of different people. The influence he's had over people is amazing. Did you catch those characteristics it talked about? He'll be called a wonderful counselor, meaning he'll guide us and comfort us through hard times and, and through his miracles and through his teachings, and he'll guide us through the good times and just how to navigate in life. Wonderful counselor. Right? What about mighty God? That was one of the characteristics, that Jesus is fully man and fully God, and he's got the power and the ability to help out in any situation. Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Are these the characteristics you think of when you think of God? Many of you sitting there are like, yes, this and so much more. This is just scratching the surface of God's goodness. I think there may be some of you saying, I, I know the story of Jesus and the birth and the things that happened. I grew up in the Bible Belt. And, and if I'm honest, the, those characteristics of God, I don't resonate with those. Right? There's been things that happened to me in my life or to other people that haven't felt his guidance and his comfort. And I don't know about this Prince of Peace. I've got anxiety and I just don't have the peace there. So these characteristics, I don't associate that. And I know other Christians. I know people who go to church and maybe go to Pathway Church. And I know they're supposed to be Christ-like and like Jesus. But when I interact with them, they're kind of mean. Right? They, they've said some things that's hurt me. And so these characteristics, it, it sounds good, but I don't know if I resonate with that. And God feels distant. Maybe he feels distant to you. You know, we're going to get to this uh, question of how God views you and is he distant. But before we get to that, I want us to understand that those characteristics, it's only scratching the surface of how good God is. And that we can experience that, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. I think we've got to answer this question, though. Is God real? Is God real? If Jesus, and we're celebrating his birth, we've got to understand and answer that question, is God real? To do that, I want us to look at prophecies. And we're not going to look at the end of the world prophecies. That's a different sermon. We're going to be looking at the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. Now, what, what is a prophecy? A prophecy is a prediction. But if a prediction becomes true, then it holds a little bit more weight. I'll give you an example. I could have the prediction that Patrick Mahomes will one day be in the Hall of Fame. Right? And you're all like, yeah, that's probably a shoe-in right now. Like, that's not that great of a prediction. But if I made the prediction that on February 12, 2023, the Chiefs of Kansas City would go into the Super Bowl and defeat the Cowboys of Dallas by a score of 31 to 24, Mahomes getting 317 yards passing. 41 yards rushing, three touchdowns, and Super Bowl MVP. Right? Anyone excited for that? If that happens, all of those things, you're like, that guy's Marty McFly from Back to the Future. Like, like that's a great prediction if all of those happen. Had a guy last service, he was like, I just appreciate you saying the Cowboys are going to win a playoff game. Like, he texted me, I'm like, yeah, there you go. There's your shout out. I like it. There's all these different predictions. And actually, in the Old Testament, there are over 300 different prophecies about the life of Jesus. Prophecies about all kinds of different things of where he would be born at. That his, that his mom would be a virgin, that would be married, that he would ride in on a donkey at one point. The exact manner of his death. There's all these different prophecies that you can look up that came true. 
So what's the mathematical probability that all of these prophecies would be true about one person, Jesus Christ? That's the exact question that a professor at Westmount College asked. And he brought his 600 university students to do a massive, intensive, very detailed research project to figure out what is the probability. And he only looked at eight different prophecies. He didn't say we're going to do the whole 300. We're going to look at eight prophecies and see what the probability would be. They did their work. They sent it out to scientists. They sent it out to some of these scientists weren't people of faith. They were atheists. They were agnostic. They, uh, they didn't believe in God, but they professionally looked at the work and evaluated it. They sent it to the American Scientific Affiliation, and the ASA came back and said their work was very dependable and very accurate. Professionally, scientifically speaking, very dependable and very accurate. So what were their findings? It says, after examining only eight different prophecies, they conservatively estimated that the chance of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies was one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, some of you don't know all of what that means, so let me break down odds for a second. If I were to take a coin and I flip it, the odds of it landing on tails would be one in two right? There's one tails, but there's two total options. Okay, 10 to the 17th power, that means there's 17 zeros after 10. It's a very small number, and you're thinking, that still doesn't mean a whole lot to me. So the professor gave this illustration, said, let's take the 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, that many silver dollars, and it would actually take up the whole state of Texas. Not only would it take up the whole state of Texas, it would be two feet deep of silver dollars in the state of Texas. Let's say you take one of them and you put a special marking on it and you toss it back in this pile and somehow you stir the whole thing. It's all mixed up. You don't know where it is. Then you take someone, you blindfold them, and you say, you can walk as far as you want, as long as you want, but you can't look and you can only bend down and pick up one silver dollar and that one has to be the one out of all of those that has the special marking on it. What would be the chances of him grabbing the one with the marking the same chances of one person, Jesus, fulfilling all eight prophecies, not all eight prophecies, but eight of them, one to 10 to the 17th power. Now, they continued to do a research, and they said, what if we took 48 prophecies? And say, we just lined up these 48 prophecies, what would be the mathematical probability? And it was one to 10 to 157th power, 157 zeros. It's mind-blowing the probabilities that this would occur. At the end of this study, he comes out with this result. Here's what the professor says. Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting fact, proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. I remember when I read that, I had to kind of go back and read it again. Fact, proved more absolutely than any other fact in the world. Is Jesus the Son of God? Is God real? That's up to each and every one of us to answer. But how we answer that impacts how we view Christmas time, right? It impacts the trajectory of our life. You know, the second question is how does God view you, right? If God is real, but how does He view each and every person individually? Is God distant on you on purpose? Does he feel like he's mad at you? He's got vengeance upon you, every bit of anxiety or struggle or pain that he just wants you to experience those based on what you have done or what you haven't done? 
Those are important questions. I want us to look at a letter that the brother of Jesus, James, that he wrote. He wrote this letter around 12 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to find this in James chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. It says this, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift. It's a gift. Coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, listen to this, became his prized possession. Here's the first thing we can learn from this. God will give you many gifts, right? Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from heaven. God will give you many gifts. Now, these aren't the gifts that are wrapped up nice and neat underneath the Christmas tree. Sometimes they can be, but his most valuable gifts are very often unseen. They're very valuable, but they're unseen. An example of this would be the gift of wisdom. If you need wisdom, you can go to God and ask. We find this in James 1, verse 5. It says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. So do you need wisdom? Yes, <laughs> We all do. Go to God and ask and listen and spend time with him and be obedient, and he will generously give you wisdom. Now, this next list of gifts, it actually kind of reads like a Christmas list. Like, if I could get these gifts and I could have them, then it'd be amazing. That's what we should be feeling about this. And these are gifts that we get through a vertical relationship with God. As we put our faith and our trust in him, these are gifts that we can have through the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's a list right there. When When I read those, it just makes me kind of close my eyes and take a breath and so list patience and self-control and actually the next three weeks in our Christmas series we'll be talking about full of love and joy and peace. So you've got to come back to catch those in the following messages. But what is God's greatest gift to us? The greatest gift that God has given us is the gift of Jesus. Right? He gave us his son Jesus that we celebrate, we remember Christmas time. God didn't give us a list to, to be followed, a list of do amount, these amount of things, and if you do enough of them, then you'll get good things, and don't do these, and if you do do some of those, you're going to get some bad things. He didn't give us a list to be followed. He gave us his son, Jesus, and he did it one time, because that one time when Jesus was here for 33 years, and he died and was resurrected, it changed everything. We put our faith, and we trust, and we follow him, and not just believe in him, it can change things for us. You know, at the end of that James, that chapter 1, verse 18, it talks about us being his prized possessions. Sometimes in my life, I hadn't felt like his prized possessions. But that was based on me. So who are his prized possessions? It's everybody. It's me, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's you, and it's the person that's here that sinned a lot is his prized possession, and the person that's here that sinned a little bit less because we've all sinned, they're his prized possession. The person that's here for the very first time that was invited by a friend, didn't know why they came, you are his prized 
possession. It's for the person that maybe grew up as an atheist or an agnostic or didn't believe in God, but they're here. You are his prized possession. We are all his prized possession. Out of all creation, we can find rest that he knows us, and we are his prized possession. And the gifts really just keep on coming. What is the greatest gift that Jesus has ever given you? It's the gift of salvation. That through our belief in Jesus, we may have salvation. It's the greatest gift that we've ever given. And here at the end of the service, you'll have an opportunity to accept that gift. But if you miss that opportunity, you can do it any time. Because God is always one step away, is always there for you when you're ready to accept that gift. Now, salvation can be kind of a churchy term. What, what is salvation? Salvation is, in plain terms, the escape from a cruel and certain and everlasting death. It is that Jesus has rescued us, and now we get to spend eternity with God in heaven, and heaven is such an incredible place. Romans tells us a little bit about what salvation is. Romans chapter 6 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin, the cost of sin that we've all sinned, the cost of that is death. But as we believe in Jesus, it's his death and it's not ours because he gave us the free gift of that. Now, to make sure I understand who is qualified for this gift, to make sure that you understand who is qualified for that gift, let us look at Romans chapter 10. It says this, If you, if anyone, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. The greatest gift ever of salvation is free and is open to any of us to accept it. We can't give it to somebody else. We can't earn it. Nobody else can give it to us. But we're made right by God by just believing that God raised him from the dead. And as we name him our Lord and Savior, then we will be saved. That gift of salvation. You know, this reminds me of the story I heard from Joby Martin. He's a lead pastor in Jacksonville, Florida at the church of 1122. And he's a little bit like me. He's bald and he's bearded, but he's way better in shape. He's more engaging. He's funnier. And, and this is his story. But I heard this story and it reminded me of how we can be rescued. Now, Joby and his family, they grew up somewhere in the South. It was South Carolina or Georgia. They're kind of that Southern hunting family. And when Joby was in second grade, him and his brother got two dogs for Christmas. Now, these aren't the dogs that you put in your purse and you go down to the shopping mall and you take them with you. Like, these are hunting dogs. These are working dogs, right? They got these dogs and they began to, to go out and they're going to go rabbit hunting. Now, you go rabbit hunting during the wintertime. And so a couple weeks after they had the dogs, their whole family, they went out rabbit hunting. And they named these dogs Daisy, because they really like Dukes of Hazard, right? Daisy Dukes, anybody watch Dukes of Hazard? Yeah, sliding on the car, that's good stuff. The other dog they named the Incredible Hulk. It was big back then and it is still today. So they go out and they go hunting and they come across this seven-foot creek that is frozen over. There's a layer of ice on top of this creek. And Daisy begins to take a step, and another step, and another step, and she ends up on the middle of this frozen creek. 
And Joby's dad looks at Daisy and says, get out now, get out now, get out now. For the translation is, you are in a dangerous place. You need to move away from the middle of that and come back to safety. You're in a dangerous place. Well, Daisy, as any dog can, can kind of look up at Joby's dad and says, forget you. I do what I want. I got this. Forget you. And she had that until the ice broke. And she went underneath the ice, and there was a stream going on. So now she couldn't come back up through that hole, and she's scratching and clawing and scratching and clawing and trying to get out of that ice. You see, that is the condition of each and every one of us, that we have rejected the law of our Heavenly Father. We've said, forget you, I've got this, I'll do what I want. We've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And see, the problem is every sin is prepackaged with the got you. And when the ice breaks and you're scratching and clawing and you can't help yourself, then that sin's got you and we need to be rescued. You know, Joby is, is frozen. He doesn't know what to do. He's in second grade and he's by the creek and, and the Incredible Hulk, he's over on the other side of the creek and he's barking at Daisy and he's barking and he's barking, and, and basically he's yelling at Daisy, saying, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have done that. And I think that's what a lot of our church experience was like, maybe for you when you grew up. At some point, you all realize that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. We show up at a church, and it's someone like me on stage, or maybe a Christian that you have, that's saying, you shouldn't have done that in your life, you shouldn't have done that, and you shouldn't have done that. What good is that going to do? The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, isn't that God's good, you're bad, and you shouldn't have done that. That doesn't help. Incredible Hulk is, is barking at Daisy, and Joby's on the other side, and he's got hope, he's got affection, and he's got love for Daisy, but he's not doing anything. I think sometimes that's our experience with other Christians. They have hope for us and for other people. They have love and affection for other people, but, but they don't know what to do. And, and they're kind of saying, you're a mistake maker that needs to just try better, not that you're a sinner that needs a Savior, that Jesus rescued me and he can rescue you. Right? We don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We don't want to step over fear, but we just allow ourselves to have hope for other people. But we don't do anything about it. We're, we're frozen. Well, the yelling at Daisy didn't rescue her. And the having hope and affection for Daisy didn't rescue her. But Daisy's underneath the ice and the stream's taking her down and she's running out of time and she's scratching and clawing and scratching and clawing and just trying to get a breath of air. Well, Joby's daddy goes down the stream. He goes out on the ice. He takes the butt of his gun. He breaks a hole in the ice as Daisy goes under. He picks Daisy up and he rescues her. Right? She couldn't do anything for herself, but she was rescued. I don't know if you made this connection yet of what the story's about. I can tell you for myself, kind of college and young 20s, I, I had told God, not, not verbally, but through my actions, through my heart of, forget you, I've got this, I'll, I'll do what I want. And there were some things that I did that was going good, but there's always a piece of me that I knew there was something more. And you see, there were things in my life that didn't go well, but it wasn't because God wanted to punish me. It wasn't that God wanted to cause me any kind of pain. It was that we live in a broken world. When sin entered, we lived in a broken world, and I have sinned myself, and there's consequences of that. So God wasn't punishing me. 
God was chasing after me. He continued to pursue me, and as soon as I was ready to step into his grace and his goodness, he was there to pull me out of the ice and to rescue me. You know, I don't know what brought you here today, what's allowing you to listen to this message and where you are, but God's been pursuing you. He's been coming after you. There's only one way to spend eternity with God in heaven, and that's allowing yourself to be rescued by Jesus, believing in your heart, declaring that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you will be saved. You know, this year is uh, my 38th Christmas. I'm 38, and I'm, every morning I wake up, I feel every bit of 38. My knees and my ankle, they hurt like they didn't used to hurt. And there's been Christmases in the past that I haven't always had the right priorities. I may have said the reason for the season is God. But my heart posture, my, my time, my actions, the way I served other people, it was anything but that. It was about me. It was selfish intentions. I, I don't know about you, but what if all of us, this Christmas season, beginning today, we began to focus on God, that all we want for Christmas would be God and God's will in our life, that we'd seek him out through a vertical relationship of praying and memorizing scripture and, and spending time with him and serving other people and being obedient, that, that what we would want is him because he's looking down at each and every one of us and all he wants for Christmas is you because you're his prized possession. If we did that, it's not the gifts underneath the tree or a relationship that gives us peace and joy and full of love. It's that relationship with him. What if this Christmas we all allowed that to be our priority and we felt God's goodness from that? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this message, for your goodness, God, for your truth, for your word, for your gift of Jesus. Father, I'm grateful for the person that came here, that it just clicked for the very first time that you are real and that you sent your son Jesus to rescue that person and everybody else through our belief in him. Father, I pray that they would embrace this moment that caught them by surprise. Allow them to hold on to it and allow it to change them forever. Father, this isn't good preaching or good music. It's a good God that you sent your son for each and every one of us. Father, I pray that we would focus on you this Christmas. Not the busyness of Christmas. Those are all good things and we can do those, but you would be our top priority. That we devote ourselves to you in a way that we've never done before during the Christmas season. And that from that, we'd be able to experience you in a new and in a fresh and a very real way. Now, for everyone listening to this, if you're ready to commit to that, that this Christmas will be different. You'll make God your top priority through your time, through your actions, through time with him. With everybody's eyes so closed, I just want you to raise your hand as a sign of the commitment to say, this Christmas, I'm going to focus on God. He's going to be my top priority. Hands all over the room. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for those saying that they're going to focus on you. Father, I pray you would take obstacles out of their way. You'd allow them to spend time with you. to allow other people to be put in their presence, to remind them, to hold them accountable, to just be able to celebrate the goodness that comes as we choose to follow you and make you our priority. Father, I know there's others in the room today that it just clicked for the very first time on your goodness and your plan for their life. That at some point in their life, they've said, forget you, I've got this, but today... 
They're ready to name your son the leader and the savior of their life. They've been scratching and clawing, but they want to be rescued today and accept the free gift that you give them. If that's you, if you're ready to make that decision, all you have to do is repeat this prayer in the quietness of your own heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have fallen short of the plan that you have for me. But today I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the grave. And I name him my Lord and Savior. And I'll do everything I can to follow him through my words, through my actions. Now if that is you, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time, if, if Jesus rescued you for the first time with everyone's eyes still closed, I just want you to raise your hand now. It's a sign of the commitment to say, I took that step. I named Jesus my leader and my savior. Just raise your hand, raise it high. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for those that are deciding to focus on you. Father, I pray that our church family would continue to walk with them, to teach them about who you are, God, and, and how to experience the true joy and love when it comes to following you. Father, we love you, and we ask all of these things in the loving and powerful and matchless name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.